You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. So this morning we're turning our attention to Galatians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3. Moving into this third chapter of Galatians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. And after his initial greeting, Paul launches into a passionate rebuke of the Galatian believers because they were being influenced by a group of Judaizers who were proclaiming a pseudo-gospel that was polluted by legalism. In chapter 2, we saw three snapshots last week that help us understand the heart of Paul's letter to these Galatian churches. We saw the snapshot of legalism, and that is right behavior, especially to uh, the Jews, but with wrong belief. Then we saw a snapshot of hypocrisy, which was right belief with wrong behavior. Uh, There's an inconsistency. Uh, And then we saw the snapshot of faith. That is right belief with right behavior. And while we understand that God's pleasure in us is not in any way determined by our performance for Him, uh, we also know that our growth in Christ-likeness and godly character is pleasing to the Lord. And so that may seem like a bit of a tension Uh, to you today. My my big question is this, are you being transformed by the gospel? Because we talked about uh, the the important word, theological term, justification last week. And the simple way to understand that is it is being made just as if I'd never sinned. Being declared by a holy God that you are righteous, based solely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, not because of your own best efforts or your own self-righteousness. And in the final verses of chapter 2, Paul teaches that a believer is united to Christ's death, even as Jesus' connection to this present evil age, as he uh, describes it, was severed at the cross, so also every person joined to Christ by faith dies to their previous existence. The, The self that we once were, the self that pretended to be independent and that lives for its own desires has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. The new self Uh, is one who is in Christ and lives by faith in him. That's why if you are a believer and have been for any time at all, hopefully, prayerfully, you can say, I am not what I once was by the grace of God, but I am not yet everything that God wants me to be. We're a work in progress, and that is all by the grace of God and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at chapter 3 this morning. Now some, especially my pastor friends, would say, Um, you would never want to try to cover uh, most of the third chapter of Galatians in one sermon, much less uh, try to pack it into about 20 minutes of time. And so uh, if I can talk fast, hopefully you can listen fast, okay? Uh, I will say this. If I'm given a choice between the beach and the mountains, uh, and we we sometimes have that choice living here in Texas. Uh, We even have that choice Within the state of Texas, you can go out west uh, to Big Bend and you can enjoy the rugged mountains out there, or you can go down to the, to the Gulf Coast, the Gulf of Mexico, and enjoy uh, the beach there. Uh, I, uh, if I'm given a choice, though, I will pick the mountains every time. How many of you are you're like that, too? You'll pick the mountains every time. All right. Well, I, I enjoy the beach. I, I marvel at God's creation every time we go. I do find it relaxing. We've got great memories made on the beaches of Florida and those things, but, but I prefer the mountains. And when we think of mountains, we often think of mountain ranges. 
Uh, we think of the Andes and uh, the Alps and the Himalayas. And here in the U.S., we think of the Adirondack uh, Mountains. We think of the Smoky Mountains and, of course, the, the Rockies, the Grand Tetons and, and those kind of things. Each of those mountain ranges is characterized and identified by its various mountain peaks. Uh, in fact, a lot of them you can readily recognize if, if you've paid attention to that kind of thing at all. You think of Mount Everest, you think of Pikes Peak, the Matterhorn, Mont Blanc, you think of K2, Kilimanjaro, uh, Denali, just uh, to name a few. Well, this morning as we move into Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at the mountain range of God's grace. And here we have one of the more complicated chapters in all of Paul's writings. Uh, my goal this morning is, for, is not for you to understand everything there is to understand about Galatians chapter 3, okay? Uh, so so uh, don't, don't get discouraged. And if you're taking notes, uh, don't feel like, man, uh, there's just so, there is a lot here. And trust me, Paul is going to return to some of these themes and, and some of the things that we are going to talk about uh, here in these final few moments together. It can feel like a bit of an interpretive challenge. An interpretive mountain to climb, you might want to say. You climb the first two peaks, which take some significant effort, and then you climb the third and final peak, and it seems like Mount Everest. And it's tall, and it requires some hard work to scale, but when you get to the top, you look around and you think, yes, this is what I came for. This is what I came for. This view is amazing. Uh, this past summer, a team of us went to Casper, Wyoming uh, on a missions trip, and we did some hiking together. And, and the end of some of those hikes, or as part of that, you found yourself just looking out over God's beautiful creation from a vantage point. Uh, it took you a little effort to get there. And, and I made the comment as we were standing there just taking all this in. I said, have you ever noticed that the best views are often the hardest to get to? Uh, and so don't be discouraged by passages that seem maybe a little confusing or uh, give, give us some interpretive challenges. What Paul does here is he takes on a history lesson through the Old Testament. And the first peak that he talks about deals with Abraham. The second peak deals with Moses. And the third and final peak in this mountain range of God's grace leads us to Christ. Uh, Paul, Paul comes back to these peaks, okay? Uh, he comes back to these themes over and over again from different angles and in different ways. And so I hope that you're ready to do a little theological climbing today. We're going to look at the first 25 verses of chapter 3. So I hope that you'll follow along as I read this morning. He says, Oh foolish Galatians. I told you in week one of this series that this is some of Paul's most passionate writing. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham, here's that first peak in the mountain range of God's grace. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. Maybe it's a foreign concept for you to think of Abraham receiving the gospel. 
He goes on to say in verse number 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who dares not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's a reference to his crucifixion. Verse 14 says, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the the, the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be realized or revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So once again, it's clear uh, that uh, Paul is a bit incredulous. Uh, he's hardly able to believe that the Galatians are, uh, and what they're doing, he makes it clear that they are foolish and fooled. The word bewitched there uh, means that the Galatians were charmed. They were seduced. They were trusting feelings over facts. They were fickle in that they were changing from what they knew to be true to a ritual religiosity. So the first mountain peak that we see here in, in Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 3 is God's covenant with Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham. It's God's promise that shows us the necessity of faith. It's a theme that really runs throughout uh, Galatians. He starts by asking the Galatians six important questions in these first five verses. And these questions are summarized, really, by the question in verse number two. He says, let me ask you only this. Let Let me boil it down for you. Let me put it on the bottom shelf. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the first Old Testament text that Paul quotes in relation to Abraham is actually Genesis 15, 6. And then he quotes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where where God first called Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The promise, the Abrahamic covenant was about land, right? 
We've talked about that already as part of this, this covenant, going to this land, this land that was promised. Uh, I, I will show you. And verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So it's about his offspring. And then verse 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here's something you need to realize about this first mountain peak. By grace alone, God blesses his people. By grace alone, God blesses his people. God promises to bless Abraham. But remember that Abraham had done nothing to deserve such a blessing. It wasn't as if God owed him one. And if you look closely at the Abrahamic covenant, you'll notice that Abraham didn't make a covenant with God. Rather, God made a covenant with Abraham. And if you look at Genesis chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, but, but listen carefully uh, to those few verses of Genesis chapter 15. And these things, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, wh what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the, the heavens and number the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Can you imagine this scene? God saying to Abraham, Look, look at the stars. You, you can't count them. That's what's going to happen. That's part of this blessing, this covenant that we're talking about here. And he believed the Lord, it says in verse 6 there of Genesis 15, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Through faith alone, God's people receive the blessing. And that faith is expressed in radical obedience. If you know the rest of the story of Abraham, you know that he did indeed leave his country. He did leave his people. He set out on a journey all by faith in a sovereign God. So you have this blessing. There's land and offspring. And the, the, it, from his seed would come this blessing that would bless the world, the nations. That's that first mountain peak in the mountain range. Of God's grace. Let's notice, secondly, the second mountain peak in this mountain range of God's grace. That is God's covenant with Moses. Now, God's covenant with Moses, Paul makes it clear here, does not contradict his covenant with Abraham. Okay, instead, God's covenant with Moses complements his covenant with Abraham. Notice what he says in verses 15 and 16. To give a human example, brothers, even, when a man -made even with a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. Now, remember, the Judaizers who were causing issues in these Galatian churches recognized the importance of the Abrahamic covenant. But they gave special priority to the Mosaic covenant. Instead of looking at the Mosaic Covenant through the lens of the Abrahamic Covenant, they reversed the order and they viewed the Abrahamic Covenant through the lens of the Mosaic Covenant. And as a result, they reasoned that in order to be accepted by God, to find favor with God, they had to do certain things. 
And we remind you often here that that is what sets biblical Christianity apart from the rest of the world's religions. They would all say, you do things to get to God. The biblical gospel says, God came to us. And our identity in him is not something that is achieved. It is received by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. God's law shows us the futility of the flesh. Now understand, the the moral, the ceremonial, the civil laws, they came together to form what is often referred to in Scripture as the law. It's important for understanding Galatians 3 because when Paul talks about the law here, he is specifically talking about the Old Testament law revealed to Moses. You know, Paul begins by talking about the law in verse 10. He says, the law can't bring life. The law can't bring salvation. The law can't bring righteousness before God. Then in verse 19... Paul gets to the obvious question. Well, if it can't do those things, then what's the point? What then is, why, why then was the law given if it can't do those things? And Paul answers that question by telling us that the law was given to show us the futility, the weakness, and inability of the flesh. The law exposes our sin. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how the law is a lot like an MRI. If you've got something going on internally, you're experiencing abdominal pain, for example, or chest pain or something like that, many times your doctor will order an MRI. And the reason for that is not to treat what is wrong with you or what's going on on the inside, but to reveal what's going on in the inside. It's a diagnostic tool. That's essentially what the law does. The law reveals to us, much like an MRI, what's really going on in the inside. And it reveals to us that the problem is sin. The problem is sin. It exposes our sin. It intensifies our sin, Paul says here. Under the law, the reign of sin expands, making its presence felt even more acutely. This is Paul's point. The law confronts man with his disobedience, his continual disobedience, and exposes his sin, even intensifying it. Because here's what you've got to understand. What Paul is getting at here is that you have to perfectly keep the law. That's the issue. That's what it demonstrated to them. So it's a lot like this. I I think like most of you, I I would describe myself as a law-abiding citizen, right? I mean, that's how I want to be known. I don't want to be given to lawlessness. However, if I'm completely honest with you today, I would have to admit that there may have been a few times that I've broken the law. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Thank you very much, Marshall Rose. I love you, brother. Because there are times it's just hard for me to stay under that speed limit, right? I got somewhere to be. I got someone to see. I've got somewhere to go. And so if you you really, if you really want to get technical, I would have to tell you that I have not perfectly kept the law. I think I may have even filed my income tax return a little late one time and I won't go into any of the other stuff. But, but I think you understand what I'm saying here. And so that, 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 that's, that's what they were getting at here. Hey, if you're going to say it's the law, then you've got to perfectly keep the law. You've got to perfectly keep the law. And yet Jesus in his earthly ministry would often turn that on its head. That's why Jesus would say, you have heard that it hath been said. And he would articulate something from the law. But then he would, he, he would, he would add to that. He would say, but I say to you, to even look at a woman with lust in your heart is to commit adultery. Wait, what? 
See, the Pharisees and the Judaizers, they were all about crossing every T and dotting every I and the letter of the law, and they would criticize Jesus and his disciples for healing people on the Sabbath and eating with sinners and all of these various things. Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the matter. I want to get to the heart of the matter. You, you can do all of those things. You can look all pious and religious and, and in your pride think, man, I'm a keeper of the law. But your heart is rotten. I mean, in fact, that's one of the ways that, that, that those individuals are even described in Scripture. He says, you look like this beautiful whitewashed tomb, but on the inside, you are full of dead man's bones. Like there's rottenness at the core. That, that's, the, that's the point that Paul is making here. That's why God gave the law to demonstrate that we can't get it right. It's why we don't avoid words like curse and condemnation and wrath and disobedience and futility. We're desperately in need of a Savior to deliver us from the curse and the condemnation and the wrath that is due our disobedience. Paul says in verse 22 very clearly that we're prisoners of sin because of the law with no hope of breaking free in our own strength. Listen to what he says. Now before faith came, you were held, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, Get this, until the coming faith would be revealed. I love that. So then the law was our guardian, what? Until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. That's why we often say here, what appears to be concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. All these things pointing to Jesus Christ. It's why we say from Genesis through Revelation, the central figure of the Word of God is Jesus Christ. It's why we say that we are biblically based, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven. And then finally, that brings us to the ultimate, the third peak in God's mountain range of grace. That is God's covenant through Christ. Through Christ. And Jesus shows us the price of freedom. Again, everything in the Old Testament was building to this reality. Was building to this reality. You find in Christ the fulfillment of the law of Moses and the ultimate fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Verse 19 says, Why then the law? What was the point? It was added because of transgressions until what? The offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Who's the offspring? Verse 16 tells us how the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It doesn't say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? Is Christ. Notice the temporary nature of the law. It's even referred to in other places as a schoolmaster that brings us to grace. It was given until something, someone, would come. So the Mosaic law with all of its ceremonies and its rituals and its priesthood and its sacrifices was given until Christ came. It was all a shadow pointing to the substance. Everything in the law was shouting, look to Christ, look to Christ. That's why Colossians 2.17, another of Paul's writing says, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ obeyed the law of God for us. Christ endured the wrath of God instead of us. 
And that's why here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus completes the promise to Abraham. As one of Abraham's line, he completes the promise. The seed to which the promise pointed. Christ perfectly lived the life of faith that is described in Scripture. And he died so that the blessing of God would be made known in all the nations. That takes us back to Genesis 12 again. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was pointing us to Christ. That's why Jesus himself said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham was justified by faith in the promise of God, looking forward by faith to the cross, not fully realizing all that that meant. That promise pointing to Christ. Abraham, every other person in the Old Testament had faith that was pointing ultimately to Jesus Christ. By grace alone, he gives salvation to us. Through faith alone, we receive God's Spirit in us. You think about the implications of what John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, proclaimed when he saw Jesus there in the wilderness. What did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God. You think that probably landed a little differently on the people of that day than it did on us, than it even does on us? The people who knew of this sacrificial system and the priesthood and all those things, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the ultimate, the complete sacrifice to which all these others were pointing. So Paul draws out the beautiful implications here in Galatians chapter 3 of being united to Jesus Christ because we who are believers are joined to Christ. We have put on Christ as he says later here in Galatians chapter 3. So Jesus' status before God the Father, the privileges he enjoys are now given also to us. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, the son of God. And that means that we who are believers are also through Christ heirs to God's great promises and even royal children of God. And here's what that means in the here and now. With this new identity, again, our identity is found in Christ. It's received through Christ, not achieved through our best efforts and our self-righteousness. Our new identity now defining us all other aspects of who we are. Descriptive terms that we use, they pale in their significance. Whether it's our ethnicity, our wealth, our gender, any aspect of ourselves that we previously considered important, do not compare to the greatness of being God's sons and daughters. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And spoiler alert... Jace is going to cover the next section of Galatians where we learn about adoption. <laughs> what an amazing picture of the gospel itself. So if we could bow our heads for just a moment, close our eyes, just reflect upon 
the gospel itself and what that means for us today. The simple truth and perhaps the harsh reality is that you and I, we cannot save ourselves. On our best day, we can't be good enough. There are best efforts we can't do enough. It is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, that we can be reconciled to holy God. What an amazing view as we look at the mountain range of God's grace. This redemption ribbon that runs from the earliest pages of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. If you're here today and you have never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to take that step of faith today. It's simply acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that you can't in any way save yourself. You need a Savior. So you're trusting the only one who perfectly kept the law. The only one who could fulfill that promise. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand together and affirm a great truth. That we need Jesus every day. Lord, I need you. Father, thank you for your word today and our time together here. Thank you that by your word and by your Holy Spirit, you speak to our hearts. I pray that we would leave here today with a clear understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. That if there is someone here today who is thinking, hoping that somehow, some way, they can be good enough to earn your favor, that they would realize our performance for you in no way determines your pleasure in us. We love you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.